broadcasting from my Tascam DR05 in Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania. This is Keith Darrell on the Campus Preacher Podcast, episode 35, Post-Millennialism, God's Hatred and God's Enemies. Hoping and hope that he might see it grow. Knowing that the harvest might well come before the bloom. He runs on his way, there's no time to be going slow. Hurry, take what you Welcome got. everybody to the Campus Church Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, flfnetwork.com or crosspolitik.com. Uh, you can go on over there and see all the goodies that we have. You can also go to Facebook and check out our, uh, I guess it's like a fan page, uh, Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. If you go there, uh, we have some discussions and posts and everything else that's uh, kind of going on. And you can ask us some questions, learn a little bit more about what we're doing and what we're about. And hopefully this podcast today will uh, give you a little bit of uh, what's going on, what we're about. And so I uh, try to give you basic up to speed of where I am. I am in uh, Pennsylvania. I got here on Sunday night. It is now actually Tuesday night, and I'll be heading out of here tomorrow and heading back south again. Then I got to head west, and so I guess got a bunch of things on the, on the calendar. Um, I got to get all over the place, and I don't have time to do it all. Uh, so um, what's going on in this episode today? As I mentioned, we're going to be talking about post-millennialism. We're going to be talking about God's hate, and we're going to be talking about God's enemies. And I'm going to be playing a couple clips. So the last few weeks... Um, have been a little chaotic on campus. The first, say, five of the semester have been phenomenal, really good, really fruitful, good crowds, um, you know, with a little bit of juice, a little bit of energy. I've probably mentioned this before, but I basically describe my days on a bell-shaped curve and say tens are the days where the police are asking you to shut it down, zeros are days where you can't get crowds, four to six is where you like them, uh, that's where you have a good crowd, you have a little bit of juice, a little bit of energy, back and forth, and yet it's not too chaotic, you start to hit seven, eight, nine, ten, uh, good night, it's no, not enjoyable at all, the zeros and the ones aren't really enjoyable uh, too much either, just kind of slow sled- sledding, um, but the last few weeks um, have kind of been on the seven plus scale, and that is not, uh, to be honest with you, after a couple of weeks, it gets a little bit old. And uh, it's one of those things where you begin to step back. All right, am I preaching harder? Am I um, preaching in a way that I have not? Because there's a couple different ways you can approach it. You can either um, walk off campus and say, wow, that's a really bad campus. And sometimes that's just flat out true. You kind of know certain campuses have a personality and you know it's going to be a little bit more like in First Corinthians when Paul's talking about fighting wild beasts in Ephesus. Uh, you know that's what it's going to be like. Other campuses, um, you know, you can have a mixed bag. And so I just feel like it's been a little more juice. And so I'm, I'm thankful to be traveling with a good brother who, um, you know, we just spent a lot of time praying about it. Like, Lord, are we preaching in a, in a manner that's uh, too rough? Um, is there any way that is not like Jesus in our speech? And it's something that you need to evaluate, especially if you're going to be doing open-air preaching. Um, because to be honest with you, there's almost a, a way to rationalize everything that takes place out there. Um, Jesus was called insane. Jesus was called demon-possessed. And, you know, we're regularly called insane. And, and so, you know, in and of itself, that's not a valid criticism. Uh, but are we doing things that are genuinely perceived as insane that are not necessary? So we just need to evaluate ourselves at all times. And I'm thankful for the brothers that I have in my life uh, as I'm traveling and preaching that I can uh, pray uh, through that with and everything else. And so in this episode, what I want to do, so last week I was preaching in Virginia and I wake up, I think it was maybe Tuesday morning and, uh, you know, you pull up your uh, you open up the Facebook app, and next thing you know, I have like these, you know, 50 notifications, and I click on it, and uh, that's Keith Darrell, that's Keith Darrell, that's Keith Darrell, and 
Uh, not all of them were that. There's maybe 10, 10, 15 references to me. But uh, someone posted, does anyone know who this is? He's, he's causing a ruckus on campus. And uh, I was that boy. There was an episode of uh, The Simpsons where uh, the teacher says, we all know the story of the boy who put his arm out of the bus window and lost his bus. And Bart says, I was that boy. So anyway, I was the boy who was preaching on campus. I was causing a little bit of a ruckus. And uh, to be honest with you, I thought the Christians were poorly behaved by and large. And, uh, um, but you know, that's the nature of the beast. And some days, uh, it gets a little bit like that, especially when, uh, you are in, uh, like Virginia and you have a little bit more of Southern Christianity that has a tendency to be very, um, maybe Arminian Baptist in a way. And look straight up, I'm not out here. Like you're, you're, what's funny is in this podcast, you're going to get some aspects like, yes, I'm Calvinist. I don't think about tulip that much, to be honest with you. Um, I'm a Calvinist. I don't spend tons of time thinking about tulip. And I've also had some discussions the last few days. I actually got one, uh, message from a very uh, kind guest, who uh, one of you guys who listens and asking me questions about the love of God. And, and I greatly appreciate that. And I have no qualms preaching uh, the love of God to people, uh, preaching in a way uh, that God's love is universal, I believe. Um, that's even consistent with strands of historic Calvinism. may not be consistent with A.W. Pink, who I love, but um, it's consistent with strands of historic Calvinism. And so what I want to do in this podcast because of I received so many questions by Christians last week wondering, uh, are you why are you saying that G- God hates? Are you saying that Jesus hates? Um, what I want to do in this episode, first of all, I'm laying out post millennialism. The basic idea there is that God made a promise to Abraham that he would bless all nations through his seed, and that we believe that in history, in time and space, through the Holy Spirit and through the church and through the preaching of the word, God will keep that promise to Abraham. And eventually, all nations, so to speak, will be blessed um, in the seed of Abraham, who is Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus gives the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, uh, I believe all of that is intertwined. And so we are now plundering the nations. And so the first clip I'm going to play here is going to discuss uh, a, a young woman's question. She's a PCA uh, intern, I believe. She works at a PCA church, and she asked me about post or she was asking me about being a Calvinist or something like that, and I brushed on being in the CREC churches and maybe some of our distinctions, and I made a comment about post-millennialism. And so I'm going to have a brief discussion on post-millennialism. Then we'll come back, and we're going to uh, have a brief clip of me answering a question about uh, whether I believe Jesus hates people out there. I'll answer that question. And then it's going to wrap up with a young man asking me a question about God's enemies. So here's the uh, first clip regarding post-millennialism. I don't want to spend all my time just debating theology and constructing Calvinism. Uh, I'm fine with Calvinism. I'm a Calvinist, um, but I don't think about Calvinism. Uh, and and so I'm more concerned with the covenants. I'm, I'm more concerned with exercising dominion. I, we're one of the unique things of us. We're, we're generally post-millennial, uh, and so uh, I'm more concerned with uh, the culture we're creating uh, and stuff like that. And so. Okay. How does your post-millennialism play into your preaching? Well, we're taking the place over. <laughs> Might might be a hundred years from now. Might yeah. be two hundred years from now. Uh, and where's your um, like defense for that in scripture? Because I actually haven't ever met a post-millennial. Yeah. Well, all right, well, there you got two things. I would say this. So uh, it plays in from this standpoint that I have total confidence. I come out here and preach the word of God. Okay. And that God's word will accomplish his purposes. So I realize for many Christians, they're like, that's not the way to do it. God's word will accomplish his purposes. Okay. And if someone can show me where I'm not actually preaching the gospel, I'll gladly repent of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you just don't like the methodology, that's a different debate. All, and the young woman who was here earlier, that's why I asked if you read the book of Acts. <laughs> All through the book of Acts, uh, they're publicly preaching the gospel. Yeah. Jesus is publicly preaching the prophets, Whitfield, Wesley, down through the ages. Yeah. So um, so it plays yeah, in from the standpoint. You, I heard you uh, pull up 
pull out the verse about not waiting on tables. I've always kind of taken that verse to be more about like uh, not having time to have to be a bivocational, essentially. Uh, well, he says get deacons to, to, so that the women are not overlooking the daily distribution yes. of food. So you have deacons whose thing is ministry service, the yeah. diaconate, the servantess. And so that's their responsibility. We must devote ourselves to preaching and prayer. Mm -hmm. And so the, the contrast to what he was calling them to do was, okay. so it wasn't a bivocational thing. It was, okay. it was we need to devote ourselves yeah, and we must devote ourselves to preaching and prayer. So that's what they wanted to devote themselves to. Okay. And so how does it play in is, honestly, I come out here, I preach and Jesus is Lord of Harrisonburg. Yeah. Before I arrived, Jesus is Lord. Yeah. And so I'm not out here being, guys, please accept him. Please, please. He's Lord of Harrisonburg. You guys are the ones in rebellion. Harrisonburg needs to repent. God, Jesus is out in the cold hoping you accept him. So the difference is one of kings. If you read like Revelation 19, it talks about going forth with the horses and everything else. That's what I believe the church is currently involved in right now. Okay. Uh, Jesus is going forth, uh, riding in on a white horse, and the white horse would be symbolic of somebody who's already conquered and already won. Okay. And so you get the white horse usually after the battle. He goes into the battle with the white horse so saying there's no chance. Do you not believe in like a second coming? Or oh no, I, I believe he comes at the end of the millennium. We'll, we'll Christianize the whole world and then Jesus will return. Then comes the resurrection dead. Right now he's in the process, 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus is in the process of putting down all the enemies under his footstool for his feet. It says, the Lord says, my Lord, sit my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So Jesus is in the process. So me coming out here is part of the process of God putting his enemies under his feet. And then people like you, I don't know what your status is. You said PCA. So you being on this campus, someone might say, hey, did you see the crazy guy from the library? Then you start talking about Jesus and then hopefully the Lord willing you'll baptize them assuming they weren't baptized um, and then you kind of go from there so so I'd say it's one part of the warfare that we're engaged in the kingdom of God against the kingdom of the devil so Satan's bound Jesus says uh, you know you can't plunder a strong man's house unless he's been bound first yeah. Satan is bound we're plundering his kingdom Gentiles were all under the rule and reign of Satan and various Elohim gods in the Old Testament and Jesus has taken them all back so so the post millennial is basically we're, we're going to take the world over we're going to Christianize the whole world through yeah. the preaching of the gospel okay Re-listening to that answer, to be honest with you, I wish I would have started with Adam a little bit more, that Adam's role was to take dominion, followed by Noah, followed by Abraham, uh, Israel leading down to the Messiah, and Messiah will accomplishes uh, the purposes of the first man, which was to take dominion over the earth. So I think kind of Adam, in a sense, is a uh, post-millennialism, and we'd be filling that out. And so one of the big controversies when I was preaching is Christians kept accusing me that I'm preaching hate. Um, any aspect of preaching repentance, any aspect of um, preaching uh, against sin, uh, many Christians understand that as being hateful. Uh, there's really no reason to take it that way, but nonetheless, um, I, I actually received quite a few messages over the past uh, week from a myriad of Christians asking, and they've actually been pretty kind in general, asking me, what exactly are your beliefs? Um, one of the things that is really, really funny, let me actually read to you a uh, an email I got from a young man and just the utter confusion that is often taking place with respect to my message and what's going on here. So I received this message from this guy. He says, how can you call yourself a preacher? You don't preach the Bible. Okay quite a charge. My response, what exactly do I preach that is contrary to the Bible? He says, on campus, you were essentially condemning students. Okay. The assertion on campus, you were essentially condemning students. Quotes Romans 2, Luke 6, Matthew 7. And he says, the Bible takes a clear stance on this matter and you contradict it. Okay. Thanks for the reply. This is me. Thanks for the reply, but you did not answer the question. What exactly do I preach Give me something I actually said. This is y'all's playbook. Make a generalization. Not loving, condemning, intolerant, etc. I ask, what specifically? Your second step, you were basically 
and you repeat step one, but don't show where I actually said what you claim. If you can give me three things that I preach, things I actually said, not what you assert, it would be helpful, as is, you are merely asserting. Okay? Seems pretty straightforward. His response, since I was not present and only saw videos of your quote-unquote sermon, I cannot provide such specific evidence that you need. Well, then, then <laughs> even if you've watched the video, you should be able to give the specific evidence I need if you're going to write somebody and accuse them of uh, you know violating the Bible and contradicting the Bible and not being a Bible preacher. You should at least be able to show them and tell them where they're not doing those things. So I really don't mind getting emails from people and challenging me and pushing me, um, but I do think it's a little goofy when you have professing Christians making charges, bearing false witness, and then they can't establish the evidence, um, not only on their own, but by two or three witnesses. And so, you know, I'm not some great thing, but the Bible does say don't entertain, um, you know, basically a charge against an elder without two or three, and I'm nobody's elder uh, in this context, but uh, the, the idea of having two or three witnesses, uh, I would still say is pretty vital if you're going to make charges against somebody, especially if you weren't there, you didn't see it, and you step back and say, well, I can't give you the evidence you need. And so anyway, I pointed the young man to A.W. Tozer's The Old Cross and the New, which I've read on this program before, and I also pointed him to the sermon Ten Shekels and a Shirt, if he'd wanted a better idea of what I believe. And for the rest of you, if you've never listened to Ten Shekels and a Shirt, I'd highly encourage you uh, to listen to that. So at one point throughout the day, um, a young man asked me if I believe that God loved everybody, and a young girl also accused me of preaching hate. And so here's my interaction uh, regarding that issue, and I seek to develop a little bit the idea of God's hatred, um, which I believe we have to deal with as Christians if we take Psalm 5.5, Psalm 11.5, uh, Romans 9, uh, quoting, I believe, Obadiah, or maybe it's Malachi, Malachi 1. If we take those verses seriously, we have to do something with the idea that God hates. And so here's a little bit of me seeking to develop that. Obviously, on a campus, it's not always the wisest thing to discuss, uh, to be honest with you, because you have a bunch of people who simply can't handle the conversation. Even Christians off on the side, you read them Psalm 5-5, they don't know what to do with it. And that's not necessarily their fault. They're not singing the Psalms in church. They have preachers that are not preaching the Psalms in church, and they don't understand the whole counsel of God. So you want to be patient with young men and women on campus uh, more often than not, and and you know th these are issues that are a bit more of maturity. Uh, some of the stuff they're used to is mere milk, uh, so we have to learn to give them more. But anyway, that's what I'm driving at. So uh, here's a little bit of what I talked about regarding the love and hatred of God. You can make your own judgments about what I'm saying, whether you think it's biblical. If you don't, honestly, please email me, uh, make a comment on the Fight Life Feast Network, contact me on the Campus Evangel on the Twitter. Keith at campuspreacher.com, all that sort of jazz. But anyway, here's a brief discussion I had on campus regarding um, God's love and God's hate and how they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. What's that? Are you saying that Jesus doesn't love everyone? I think he does. Okay. Yeah, I said, uh, well, you have, I never said he hates you. No, I would say this, because here, here, here be my, here's my theology on love and, the love and hatred of God is this. See, the love and hate, see, the Bible teaches that God hates. Psalm 5, 5, Psalm 11, 5, Romans chapter 9, quoting the Old Testament says, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. And so, so every Christian out here today has to speak clearly on the nature of God's hate because the Bible says that God hates. 
Okay? And so what I'm out here to maintain is this, though. Love and hate are not necessarily mutually exclusive. If you love justice, you're going to hate injustice. So the nature of your love for justice means you hate injustice. If you love your neighbor, you're going to hate racism. If you love women, you're going to hate pornography. So the nature of love and hate correspond with one another. And so God loves the good, so he hates evil. God loves the good, so he hates evil. And here's the rub. You guys do evil. Your lying is evil. Your murdering of your children are evil. Your, your, uh, your pornography and fornication. These things. So here's the rub in the Bible. And oftentimes people want to say the Bible's filled with contradictions. Here's actually the big contradiction in the Bible is this. The Old Testament teaches very clearly that God will in no way condemn the innocent. Okay? It also says that God will in no way clear the guilty. God will not condemn the innocent. He will not clear the guilty. Now here's the problem. I'm guilty. How could God ever clear me? I'm guilty. Over here you have Jesus who we're saying is perfect in every way. We're saying he's condemned. But the law says that God will not condemn the innocent and he will not clear the guilty. So if, if God loves me and he's not going to clear the guilty, what does God do with me? His love for justice, his love for the good compels him to condemn me. Yet at the same time, his love for me compels him to send his son to the world to die for my sins, to die in my place, his death, his burial, his resurrection, the innocent for the guilty, the righteous for the unrighteous. So I have no qualms telling everybody out here that God loves them. But I also say this, that, you're, that God, your experience of God's love is conditional. Your experience of God's love is conditioned upon repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you won't experience the love of God. So theoretically, if I, like, friendship-wise, I loved you, and you're like, I don't want to hang out with you, you're not experiencing my love. And I can sit there and say, but I unconditionally love you. And you're just doing that. So your experience of the love of God and your experience of forgiveness is conditioned. That's why 1 John says, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just, forgives us our sins, and cleanses us from all righteousness. If we confess. So even the forgiveness of sins is conditional. Good. Condemn, I would say ultimately, the ultimate sense in which I'm, I'm using it is eternal hell. Damnation. Separation from God. I don't know exactly what that's like, but that's the final state. So you said we're all, like, we're all guilty because we all sin. Uh-huh. Because we're not perfect like Jesus. But so... If, if we repent and we are sorry, are we then, like, by God's grace and love, are we then forgiven and then Absolutely. have a chance to, okay. Yeah, so I'm going to be very... God, God hates evil, makes sense, but he doesn't hate, he doesn't hate evil, he hates the evil acts that we commit against others. Well, I'm saying that's a difficult rub, that it's a little bit of a both thing going on there. So, like, you know, hopefully you hate Adolf Hitler, you don't just hate his evil actions, you hate him, and that's fine, that's good. All right. So in a similar way, God says he hates the evildoer. He hates the work of iniquity. And yet there's also, so let me say this, God's hatred, to finish out the idea of what God said. See, when we think of hate, we unfortunately have the Ku Klux Klan of mind, an irrational person hating, oh, I just hate them. And there's no reason behind it. God's hatred deals with his holy opposition to sin. So that, when you think of God's hatred, but also his love is not primarily God's feelings towards us. Kind of like if you say you love a girl, you're like, I'm in love, I don't care who knows. You click your heels, because you're like, and you have this feeling. And you have this, you have this feeling of love, and he's like, well, I fell in love. 
See, God's love is not like that. God's love deals with his commitment to death, even death on a cross for his enemies. That's the love of God. So love and hate need to be redefined. When I come out here, I use the term love. I realize I'm using it differently than most people out here today. When I'm using the term hate, I'm using it differently. So let me, let me read this verse to you. This is John 3. I'll say this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son to the world to condemn the world. And I'm not out here to condemn you today. All right? When you guys were eating this morning, you're already condemned if you're outside the Messiah. Okay? So Jesus says this. Whoever believes in me is not condemned. Keith believes in him. Keith is not condemned. But it goes on to say, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed the name of the only Son of God. Whoever believes is not condemned. What's your name? Graham. Graham. I'm Keith. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Are you a Christian? Uh, Catholic. Catholic. You, so you believe on the death, the birth, and resurrection of Jesus, your only hope? Jesus says in John chapter 3, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It goes on to say, whoever does not believe stands condemned already. So when I come out here and I talk about God's judgment or condemnation, it's because of what Jesus said. I'm nobody to tell anybody who's going to heaven or hell. I'm not the judge or that. But if the judge has revealed what's going to happen, I'm also nobody to trifle with that word. So if the, if the professor says, you answer A, 100%, you answer B, you get a zero, and you say, well, I'm going to answer B. And you answer B, and there, there's a perfect example. I cut it off there because I allowed somebody else to hop in with another question, and we transitioned a little bit in a different direction. She asked me if this is uh, the best approach to things, and I wish I would have uh, fleshed out the rest of my answer. So unfortunately, uh, when I, as I listen to these uh, recordings, I realize I don't do everything that I would like to be doing out there. And it's kind of hard when you have maybe 100 kids gathered around, and everybody's asking you questions and stuff like that. But that's the basic gist. And, and actually, I, I realize we're going a little longer uh, than I planned. So I'm going to defer on the en God's enemies standpoint. Picked it up next week. It's all related to post-millennialism, God love, God hate, God has enemies. God is in the process of putting down his enemies. And uh, in the context of evangelism, even you and me who are believers, he, there's a sense in which he put us down uh, through the waters of baptism. We died, we were resurrected. Salvation is always through death and resurrection. And so we need to understand that in the context of God uh, redeeming his enemies. So we're going to uh, have a clip of that next week, and we're going to discuss a little bit more God's enemies and how that relates to evangelism, a little bit more of what I'm doing, and uh, all that jazz. Because the reality that God has enemies, that we are enemies of God, is completely foreign uh, to the average year. And we need to, and we do need to. Um, communicate that in a way that people understand because when it's so far off of people's radar and you spring it on them um you know they, they, they just can't can't grasp it they don't understand it and we have to be sensitive to that as we're seeking to communicate the gospel um because we're not talking to uh exile jews you know what i mean we're talking to a post-christian pagan uh nation uh that is not in covenant with god so we got to keep that in mind. So that's this episode of the Campus Future Podcast. Um, if you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to contact me, Keith at CampusFuture.com, uh, Campus Evangel, or on Facebook, you can look him up, Keith, and on Instagram, Campus Future uh, over there. So may the Lord bless you, keep you. We'll talk to you next week. Hoping and hope that he might see you grow. might well come before the bloom he runs on his way there's no time to be going slow hurry take what you've got do with it what you can 
the good God in heaven needs us, so we're in the land. Some see. 